On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we have Kevin Cole from Pro Football Focus, and Rufus and I talk a little bit about the Westgate Gil Alexander fiasco and actually give some picks at the end. So, with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom Welcome to another edition of the Bet the Process podcast where Rufus is hell-bent on making fetch happen or making video happen in this case. You probably don't know the fetch reference, do you? Of course I know. It's from the, it's mean from, Girls. Mean Girls. It's from Clueless? Or isn't it? Mean Girls. Clueless? Mean Girls. Oh, wow. All right. I guess I didn't know it. Yeah. Rufus trumping me with some cultural references. Um, before we, you know, we're going to be joined uh, by Kevin Cole and, uh, you know, an analytics guru to talk a little bit about two-point math and what we can learn from him about gambling. But let's talk a little bit about some of the macro topics that have come up um, on Twitter the last couple of days um, or last week or so. Um, Gil Alexander, who is um, a friend of the show's or a friend of, friend of ours um, broadly, he um, had a, an issue. Um, why don't you describe it to, to people and then we can discuss it a little bit because I do think it's an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah, we also have friends. Of, John Murray is also a friend of the pod, though, too. He's Westgate. But what happened was Gil bet a future bet on uh, the guy. I don't even know. I can't remember his name who ended up winning the French Open back in January at 30 to 1 odds. You know, then he thought that at the French Open normally is in like May or June. We got pushed back to October. Uh, the guy he bet on won, but the bet was no action. His money was refunded because the bet had been canceled back in March by the Westgate. They had canceled that pool, but um, but Gill apparently did not know about that, and so um, he wasn't he didn't wasn't able to rebet it, and so he uh, was was upset about that. And the Westgate had tweeted out, or I guess it was Jeff Sherman had, and some other people had tweeted out in mid-March, and or I think it was like March 19th or 20th, that they were canceling that French Open pool um, and, and going to be starting. And then they started a new one once it was announced when the French Open was going to uh, occur, I believe. Um, but I think they had trouble, obviously. It's, it's hard to get hold of everybody. Um, and so... Uh, Gil, Gil was upset about this, and the Westgate is, as far as I know now, has not um, has not paid him based off of that. Do we know if his was that on a physical ticket or in the app? I believe it was a physical ticket. I think if, yes, if it's it on the app, I think like Spanky actually had a good suggestion. Um, he said that the book should should have things posted inside the book that basically says if wagers are canceled or something like that, so everybody knows. As well as I think you should have a pop up on the app, and I know. Some books literally do have pop-ups that say, hey, you got a wager canceled and you can't make them go away. Um, these are not legal U.S. books, but uh, if you had a wager canceled. So, I mean, I think, I think there is some responsibility for the book to let the user know. But at the same time, if somebody bets uh, in person with a physical ticket, 
you know, it's not like you have to give them your cell phone number or address to bet. Anybody can bet without, without any um, identification other than to show that you're, you know, 21 or over. And so uh, how in that case is the book going to let people know? So I think in this case, like there was a pandemic. And so this was an unusual time. Um, really? What's unusual about but, it? But this is totally normal. I think what we're going through. I know. So the, the Westgate House rules basically say that a sporting event um, has to be played within eight days of uh, the well, so can can we can we just can we talk a little bit about just the this so the, the legally right it seems clear that they had rules that says that this this was going to be canceled, but the the thing that everyone's kind of talked about is the spirit of the rule right, mm-hmm. and ultimately if you're in Gill's you know place, you placed a bet on the French Open, it got canceled and moved during COVID, would you? And I'm asking you personally. Would you have assumed that the bet would still be on or that the bet would be off? I would have checked to make sure. I think that's that's kind no, but of what the would you here. what would your prefer what would your thought have been? In this case, with the Westgate's house rules, um, I would have thought given that it's a futures bet, that it probably would have been on. But at the same time, I wouldn't have known for sure because different books are treating things so differently. I mean, hell, William Hill recently, you know, there was the um the Patriots game, they got moved. And from, was it from a month, a Sunday to a Tuesday or something like that? It was after, or Monday, it was when Cam Newton um, came down. But everybody else canceled that wager. Other books canceled it, but William Hill didn't. So all these books have different rules is what I'm saying. So sure. I think, okay. I think as a better, you need to be pretty proactive. Better be checking aware. the house rules and making sure. Because okay. you, so you don't get yourself into this situation. So, and I think the operator needs to do as good of a job as they can of letting people know if bets are canceled. So if it had been a straight matchup bet of some sort, somehow that you were able to get down on, you would have assumed the default then it would have been canceled. Because it was a futures bet, you assumed the default was that, th- that it would still be a valid. Well, I guess the question is, right, if you consider the French Open a futures bet, do you consider it an event or a future? And I think we all call it a future because it's in the future, but in the same time, it's yeah, not, it's, it's not a understand. future in the sense that it's like the culmination of a season. It is I guess, an isolated I guess the point event. That, the point that I'm trying to make, Rufus, is at least in my mind, I would have assumed that it was canceled. Because like, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, no one had any idea when any of these things would be played or if they would be played. So I would think that they would the right thing, you know, again, back to the spirit of the law, the right thing would be to just cancel everything and kind of just be like, get, take, get your money back because we have no idea when this thing is even going to go off. Like realistically, like there's, you know, we talk about futures bets being bad bets sometimes, especially ones that are, you know, like, yes, no on a coin flip or something because they, they tie up your money for so long. Um, You know, but in this case, you know, it, it seems I guess I was, I was, I hadn't followed a ton of what was going on. I knew that people were up in arms and obviously when people are up in arms, you typically take the better side, meaning Gill side. But in this case, I was just like, well, wouldn't you just assume that a, a futures bet that was made pre pandemic on an event that got moved, you know, eight months later or whatever, seven months later, wouldn't you just assume that that got canceled? I, I would, I guess. And maybe, but maybe I just don't, I'm thinking about this the wrong way. Yeah. 
I, I would too. And at least I would probably want to check and make sure. And if yeah. I liked that particular tennis player, I'd want to see. Um, and if it was canceled, I'd want to bet it again. Yeah, it, it does highlight. I think the other thing is that it does highlight how poor a lot of the processes and, and procedures for these quote unquote legitimate onshore books are because they're not typically software driven. They've never been software driven. They've been like in venue more, you know, collegial, like this whole, you know, it's just, they don't have processes in place for some of these things, unfortunately. Right. And I think, you know, Spanky's suggestions or whatever are good suggestions. And um, again, like the idea of having flags in the app and whatnot, I, of course, those are all good suggestions, but the, the general sports books, the software and the technology and the ops behind them are, need to need to you know move forward. Otherwise, we're gonna we're gonna kind of look at this as a cottage industry for a long time. But I do think you will have cases that are gray areas. You will have disputes. I mean, it's inevitable. I mentioned I tweeted about this, and I mentioned a dispute I had with the Westgate back in after the Super Bowl in I think it was 2016. It was the Broncos. Said yeah, it was the Broncos. It was one of the Broncos Super Bowls. Um, it was a Von Miller, uh, your friend, our friend. Well, I met him once. <laughs> Remember that? Rufus and I partied with Von Miller at the Wet, at Wet Republic at a pool party. That was the same time. The, the, by the way, that pool party, the first thing I see when I get in there is Johnny Manziel, double fisting, Bud Lights. And he had, and if you looked at the news that week, he had said he was in Vegas, but he was sober. And so I, I definitely snapped a shot picture of it. So I, so I have that, but you're the guy, you're the but, guy. Well, I just kept it myself, but Von Miller, who else did we hang out with at that pool party? Who? Von Miller's cousin. <laughs> you don't and remember. Entourage. It's okay. Who else do we? A survivor, a survivor candidate. A survivor Brian contestant. Mead. A survivor. Oh, and the survivor contestant that you were on the plane with. Yeah. I don't remember her name, but she was like one of the all time great survivor contestants. Poverty, right? poverty shallow. Yeah. So anyways, so wait, wait, finishing my story though, I had a, um, a dispute over the grading of a, a tackles prop. So it was Von Miller over under three tackles and Westgate's rules said um, specifically sacks do not count. So how, I took, how does sacks not count as tackles? That's well, the they, weirdest thing. The thing is sacks count as tackles in general. So if you get, <laughs> if you had, if you have six tackles, in this case, Von Miller had six tackles, three of which were sacks. So I thought he had three tackles based on the wording of the prop but it was graded in over and six was the number. And so, um, and the win had this written the same way. Um, I think they might've just copied the Westgate. You know, they graded it over as well. I went, asked them, you know, I basically stated my case and they said, okay, and they refunded my money. Is it cause it should have been a push. Um, Westgate did not. And they basically said the, the wording was such to, I guess, not confuse recreational betters because otherwise they would see six tackles and three sacks and think, it might be nine, but I didn't, I didn't know this. I read this literally. It created extra work in my modeling. And so, Oh, uh, so you mistook the, the wording. Cause, cause you thought that they were saying that tackles weren't included as sacks. I thought your sacks weren't included sacks as tackles. Weren't included as tackles. Exactly. Cause but it's like, what's, sacks, it's like, it's again, sacks go back do to... not count. Right. So, so you're going to say, okay. And, and Jay, Jay Cornegay. So they should have said sacks of, don't count twice. Right. But you know, you're going back to the sort of the spirit of the wager argument that Captain Jack made. And, and Jay basically said that to me. He said, like, look, if you'd had any confusion, you should have asked. And, and he got how I, you know, he understood after I explained to him how, why I read it that way. 
but at the same time he said you know they had paid out all these overs you know they they didn't want to pay out like if they would have to refund every underbetter who bet it not knowing that um yeah i mean, I mean in I, my I opinion think as long as they're consistent opinion, right well in my opinion well i'll tell you now now they have it worded differently so that so it did help but the thing is there will be so that's rufus's that are, legacy yeah I've changed the sack, the the tackle props forever. Yeah, but well, if you, I mean, but the thing is, there will be these sort of disagreements or gray areas that come up from time to time, and and my my what I I did not pursue this with gaming or anything. I could have done that, and I think I had a good argument, but I didn't do it because I didn't want. I had a good relationship with Jay. I respected him. I had a good relationship with Westgate. It was only for like four thousand dollars. It was two prop bets for two thousand each, I think, and so. To me, it wasn't worth going through, jumping through those hoops and jeopardizing that relationship. But I do think there should be a way that sort of an independent arbiter that can decide these things uh, where it, you know, neither party feels like they're being taken advantage of or they are je potentially jeopardizing the relationship, right? It's like, okay, we go to this party, they tell us, you know, like gaming, but make, you know, but I feel like gaming is not easily accessible and it's a... Uh, and not always, um, not always neutral either. Exactly. Um, I mean, there's just incentives for. I mean, you know, gaming regulators are paid by bookmakers essentially. So, or by Rufus. This is why we need a co coalition. We needed like a sure. betters coalition. What should we call it? What, what do you think we should How call about, it? Well, we're in America. How about American betters coalition? Maybe we, we can lump in like South America with us too. So what do you but think, like, the we need if you go back to this Gil situation, is he is Gil trying to pursue any sort of, like, legal, or is it just so clear because of the regulation, because of what they have written in their, in their you know, rules? I mean, Gil, I assume, can go to gaming. I mean, he can and, and see, and I'm sure he has. And, uh, you know, it's over $30,000, which is not a trivial sum of money. And so I understand him exploring those options especially because he feels like at least i assume he feels like you know he didn't know he feels he feels wrong regardless of whether he who is at fault he feels wrong and i think he you know i, I don't fault what's him for going most, to gaming right what's the what's the he most should be able to go to gaming but it shouldn't do it like it shouldn't inter, it shouldn't mess up his relationship with the westgate they shouldn't say if you go to gaming you're not allowed to bet there again i'm not saying they've done that but i mean i feel like if you pursue these things sometimes you feel like you're making an enemy of the book now i think pub what's, publicly what's, venting about this is going to make an enemy of the book but okay can we what's the most wronged that you've ever felt was it the von miller the von miller incident or what, what was the most wronged you've ever felt on a bet that's a good question i mean i i felt pretty wronged by the von miller to be honest i was pissed at the time i can't i, think I just don't know how i i i did you, do you read it like any, me? Do you read it the way I do? Well, I, it says sacks what, do not count. So uh, that was so the 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 actual thing said total tackles, and then in parentheses it said sacks do not count. Yeah, underneath it, I, I actually found uh, I found it. Um, I probably would. I probably like if I were. How much money my, did you end check, up having? Check my on? tweet thread. Check okay, my tweet thread because I literally Rufus. found a picture of it from yeah. Rufus, um, how, how much did I have on it? How much money did you have on it? Four thousand dollars. Okay. Two bets, two bets. Well, there was one at the win too. So, and that was probably, so probably $5,000. And it was only maybe, a push rather than a loss. 
maybe you should have asked because it does seem weird that sacks wouldn't count as tackles. It's been that way every so – th- I mean, to me, it doesn't seem weird like because it literally says sacks do not count. I'm like, okay, this is straightforward. So that had – and, it had, and all the time you'd bet before that, it had never come up. Yes. There had – in 10 years of it, there had, or I guess eight years for me, there had never been a time where it was the difference between a bet winning or losing. Anyway, we have uh, we have Kevin in the waiting room. Should we let him in? Let's let him in. Okie dokie. Kevin, you are you're live. Well, that's quite a quite a cool oh, wow. backdrop you got there, Kevin. You're like HD. <laughs> well, yeah. We're standard definition. You're HD. This is uh, this is literally. I don't use this room for anything else. But but this, I moved from New York to close to DC, and just like when you have all this extra space, I literally don't know what to do with it. So we just. I uh, do, do some podcasting down here. So I, I have this specifically set up for this. That's great. It's great that you have all that room. It's an embarrassment of riches. In, in California, where I live, we have zero room to do anything. Yeah, it's um, worse than New York now, in, in the Bay Area at least. Yeah, I live in like a 1900 square foot home. That's barely, you know, barely room for my, my children. It's a beautiful house though. Thanks, Rufus. Thanks. Kevin has autographed Peyton Manning, Sports Illustrated, and Barry Sanders, and the dude behind him. Jeff has a plant and a TV people make fun of. It's a real plant. I don't understand why people make fun of the TV. It's like perfectly mounted, no wires exposed. It's it's really well done. What's that other one TV, though? That's just like a little, it's it's like I I can move that thing. It's just like a fastener thing. That, That doesn't have to be there. Fascinator. Um, Kevin, thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah, sounds like you've me. heard, we can start where it sounds like you've heard the debates between Rufus and I about the value. Well, basically about your value as a human being. Yeah, um, yeah. and more specifically, I guess your value to betters, the kind of analysis that you do, because you, you don't, you don't bet yourself, right? No, no, I do not. Have you ever um, placed a bet? Uh, I have, it's but it's been probably like 15 years since I, wow. since I did so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's just like work, family, kids, all that stuff. And maybe I just don't enjoy the sweat enough also. Uh, so that, that, that all comes into it. And I, I think maybe if I could step in and I could be really confident that I wasn't just wasting my time doing it and I, was, and I had an edge, then that comes into it too. It, the sweat in and of itself is probably not enough for me. Do you, do you think you have an edge? Like right now, if you were to try to start betting on games, like if we make you pick every NFL game on this podcast, do you have an edge? Nobody has an edge betting NFL, betting every NFL game. I'm going to, I'm going to have a pretty strong kind of assumption prior that no, I do not have an edge on that. Now, if it came to something that's softer, like props, which I know is not real betting in, in, in your minds or some other people's no, minds. No, no, no. That, it, it, we, hey, this is what got me into trouble in the right angle sports uh, Slack room is that I said that professional bet. Someone said that I said that professional betters don't bet prop bets. We had a whole discussion about this with Rob Pizzola last week. Um, for the record, professional betters do bet prop bets, I know. But it seems like very challenging to get a lot of volume down on them, the kind of volume that I know that most professional betters need. So that's my disclaimer. We can move on. Go ahead. You would bet props because you think you could have an edge there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to like build my assumption for how successful I would be on how how just knowledge of how sharp the market is. So, that that's going to be first and then I'm going to I mean, I'll tilt off of that a little bit. 
Um, but I think you have to be modest and, and that's the, you should be, you should be tilting off of like a strong prior of how strong the market is rather than saying I'm great. So therefore that's going to be my, my assumption. And then maybe I'll, I'll move off of that slightly by uh, doing it the reverse way and moving off of that by how strong you think the market is. So how, um, how, how do you think Rufus and I should use the information that you provide to become better betters? I don't know. You know, uh, I mean, I, I was going to bring up, you know, I, I have a lot of people who bet follow me on Twitter. So I don't know, we, I guess the market speaks somewhat to the fact that people must find the information useful. Now, whether it's useful in their betting lives or whether they find it useful just to know about football, I think that's, that's part of it. But, you know, I mean, work that I do, I mean, I do do work with, with projections. I do do work with a lot of fantasy football stuff, which it's not the same market, but you are part of this, um, you know, projection prediction feedback um adjustment loop that i think a lot of a lot of betters are 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 a part of but i i wouldn't you know if i was making recommendations if i was touting bets then i think it would be fair to be very skeptical of that but if you want to maybe know a little bit more about some different trends in the game or, or understanding it a bit and then figuring out how that applies to to betting that would probably be the way to go about it okay well let, let's let's take a few themes then that that have come up that maybe It'd be interesting to talk with you about um, player player value right now. So almost like replacement player value. You have a, you have Andy Dalton last week. Um, you know, got announced. Obviously, the starter. Um, the line opened. I think what uh, the Cardinals three. minus three and a half, and we actually three talked last week on the podcast and said, "Hey, are the are the are the Cowboys going to end up being favored?" They did end up being favored. So the line moved four and a half points. You know, uh, certainly through zero isn't the, the most important, but a, a fair amount of points. Do you think that was an overcorrection based on what you know, or would you say that was the, the minus one was the right market? And then how do you think about the Cowboys with Andy Dalton going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think... I mean, it's really tough with, with, with hindsight to, to think about these sort of things. But no, I, I don't think it was necessarily an overcorrection. The problem with Dalton in particular is we have a pretty limited sample of what he did last year. Um, but I think the larger sample for him is pretty strong. I mean, I've done some projecting when you're looking more on, a, on an efficiency basis or how well we think different players will grade. And I, I compared him specifically to Dak Prescott coming into the season. And while there was a material difference between them, um, you know, Dalton still projected as he's kind of been thought of in his career to being uh, an average or slightly below average quarterback. So the delta between that and, and Dak Prescott is probably, you know, it, well, it depends on who you're talking to, but it's, it's smaller than what some people may think. And then it's obviously going to be uh, bigger than what people who, who tend to discount Dak Prescott is going to have to say. But overall, um, I mean, I think, it was, I think it moved in the right direction, but we saw the results, obviously. How many points is that delta? Yeah, I mean, let me look here. I mean, so, I know you probably don't, you're not a gambler, so you don't think of it in terms of points as much as you probably think of it in terms of, yeah, I don't know, CPOE or. Well, or, I mean, I'm uh, just looking at some numbers that, that we, that we put together success. that's based upon, is based upon the grading and, the, and our, our war calculation and trying to, you know, engineer that back for, you know, assuming a win is worth, 30 something points in, in, in point differential, something like that. Um, here, I don't know. It looks like it could be, well, actually it looks, it looks fairly significant here. Maybe three, three and a half points. 
but that's so that's pretty significant. So what do you so okay? Look at now the reaction to this one game. So Dallas opened Monday morning, no Tuesday morning, is a three point favorite, and it immediately got bet against the Washington football team on the road. Immediately, it got bet all the way down to a pick. And is it still there, Jeff? Yeah, it's still zero. It's still a pick. Just is this an overreaction? I mean, I. I have, I, I mean, we like the Cowboys this week. So at zero at Pickham. So, you know, our numbers say it's an overreaction. What are you, what do you guys think? Me? I mean, um, I made the number minus 1.8. We'll get to Kevin in a second. Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> no worries. Minus I, mean, 1. I, 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 I didn't know who Jeff was addressing. Wait, I made a minus 1.8. Yeah, but I actually bet the Cowboys anyway. I just, cause I'm a Washington football team fan fan meaning i'm rooting for them to lose right now anyway and i just know how bad they are and how bad scott turner is and yeah so i and it just seemed like an overreaction too given the fact given where my number was last week kev yeah i mean i i think we have it as a i'm i'm looking i'm going to rely more upon what the numbers that we have in our system here than my than my intuition which would probably be that would probably be the main thing that would that would be pushing it but yeah i mean we have it as a as a slight over overreaction but not not significant not not hugely significant what what about some other macro trends um the scoring has been up this year uh it seems like last week there was a little bit of a correction but there were there were certainly weather and other things that came into play in some of the games um, do you think, where do you think the scoring increase is coming from? Uh, that's my first question. And then I'd love to tackle home field after that. So for, first question is, is scoring increase. What do the analytics say about it? Is there any, any theories that you guys have at, at Pro Football Focus? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I was just before I hopped on here, I was talking to Michael Lopez, who's a director of data and analytics at the NFL. Mm-hmm. So I'll just steal what what I asked him because I basically asked him that the same thing and then he was he was telling me and then combine that with my own research I mean there's some obvious things that are happening um, penalties are down holding in particular offensive <clears throat> holding is down defensive holding is also down somewhat um, but not enough to offset offensive holding being at you know 60% of the level that, that that we've seen over the long term even even down even more than what we saw last year because holding was up the first because there was some guidance change the first few weeks of last season so that's something that you can really concrete you can point to um, quantifying it is a little bit more difficult because even if you tried to quantify the points you know gained by not having those penalties there's also the 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 feedback loop effect of well maybe teams are just holding more right and not getting caught so then therefore there's also a, a benefit of that so I think I think that's that's something that's big um, but there's really just across the board efficiency gains whether it's passing running there were fewer um, pe- pre snap penalties maybe that's a crowd noise sort of thing um, maybe somehow these these protocols and and not having you know uh, crowds and all that sort of stuff maybe somehow the players are being a little bit more disciplined because I don't know how referee guidance could, could be affecting pre-snap penalties and, and things like that. Um, so I think that's also driving scoring quite a bit. And then maybe, you know, how, how fair this is or not, I think the level of quarterback play across the league is fairly strong. Like the five worst quarterbacks are probably better this year than we've seen in previous years. But at the same time, we're seeing career years from, from veteran quarterbacks across, almost uh, across the board. So there's some, there's some stuff going on. It's just really difficult to get, to get our heads around exactly what it is. 
Do you think I mean, there's any truth to like pl coaches playing more optimally now? I mean, they're they're definitely going for more. Um, are people pa is, is is there more passing? You know, with the exception of the Cowboys, are people starting to call plays more optimally? Um, are we seeing that at all? No, I mean the yeah, Cowboys I mean, are insane, right? Like it, you just watch the the situations that they put Dak and. Dalton in and, and it's anyways. Well, I mean, they hired a bunch of people from his employer. So I don't know if that's <laughs> no, he, hopefully he only the worst PFF. ones. No. He visited, he visited PFF. Um, I mean, I'm not at the offices there, but yeah, he used that on, on his, his resume. I mean, I, I went through all of the, all these sorts of trends. I went through uh, the passing versus running trends. I went through um, trends as far as how many, you know, pace of play, how many plays are being called here. I went through, trends of um fourth down calls all those sorts of things i mean some of them had a more significant le leap this year than others but most of them have been on a long-term trend in this direction so it it's just been more of a continuation of that it hasn't been enough to explain the fact that like passing efficiency on a per play basis is is you know multiple x times over what what it had been the small margins that it that it had been and you can't really, I don't think you can really explain that, even though teams are throwing a little bit more often on second and long, or they're going for on fourth down a little bit more often than, than they have, things like that. And the trends of shorter passing, higher completion percentage, um, th that's been happening for a while. And, and that's, that's accelerating to a degree, too. You know, the, the teams are throwing shorter passes, but they're completing them more often, so they're getting more efficiency out of it. Um, I, I, I st you still don't see enough to really explain this, this huge uptick year over year, though. So are we just saying that this is noise then? Or, I mean, like, or do we have to keep kind of examining different theories that we might have and seeing if those theories are true or not? Like, you know, uh, I mean, we know that like a lot of the analytics stuff that we know is good for the offense, right? So if there's any, it's just like in basketball, right? In, in basketball, a lot of the analytical trends that, that people knew, like were more efficiency on offense, faster pace of play, they move scoring up. Is that just same thing happening now in football at some level where it's not any one thing per se, it's just becoming more efficient. And then if you couple that with no crowds, so there's less fewer pre-snap penalties and holding maybe have been a instruction because, you know, there's always that adage you could call holding on every play. And so now they just say, Hey, it's a judgment call. Why don't we call holding a little less? Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, like I said, it, it's difficult because you can't really pinpoint the value of each particular one. And I mean, I guess you could say, you know, trends aren't linear also. So although some of these things have, have moved in a linear manner, there could just be a, a step up and a new plateau. I mean, we, we have some evidence in the previous years of the baseline quarterback play is, has, gotten, has gotten better. Um, you'd have a quarterback like, I mean, Kyle Allen's not good, right? But he would probably give you better performance than uh, UDFA in his second or third year would have given you five something years ago, um, just because of the fact that they're, what they're asked to do with these shorter, with the shorter passes is a little bit, is, is easier to implement into scheme than, than, what, than what we had seen in the past. So um, I, I think it's a combination of noise and some, some real trends. Um, but I, I, it's really hard to pin it on all being noise when we just happen to have this very one of a kind type of season going on. And this is happening at the same time. There's probably just these unknown unknowns that are out there that, that, that are having effects. Do you think the, I guess the lack of off season and lack of preseason games have, has had any effect and do you sort of expect, I mean, that, to, 
Or, and if so, do you expect you know, that to sort of be mitigated going forward? I mean, there's probably, like I said, if there's a degree of, of, of truth to what's going on and then there's a degree of noise. So the, the, the noise is going to be mitigated somewhat, you'd assume, as, the, as it moves forward. Um, I guess I was more skeptical of, the, of the, the practice angle. We only really had the 2011 lockout season to base it on that most people were, were, were pinning it on. So when trends are identified for what happened in one season, I think it's, it's you know, a little bit dubious how, how it may be going forward. And I mean, we're pretty far into the season at this point, and I haven't seen it slow down at all uh, week over week. So you think you, you'd, see, you'd see elements of that, right? Um, if right. there was this, this angle of practice getting better, then you'd see scoring starting to go down. I mean, well, one other big trend, actually, that I should have mentioned is, um, uh, you know, point differential is, is way down. Games are closer. So that also can drive scoring because if you have, uh, you know, the team that's leading in, in a game is purposefully being less efficient offensively in order to, to run clock. And the team that's trailing is not really upping its efficiency by throwing all the time. They're just trying to score as quickly as possible. So in some ways they could actually be on average lowering their efficiency also. Um, so because of that, with the teams have been close, have been, the win probabilities have been tighter um, than they have been in previous seasons. That also is probably driving teams just to play more optimally for a longer period of time than usual. You know, Eric um, Eager brought that up on the Pinnacle podcast this week also. And I looked and I saw that I think the average scoring differential or score differential this year is like maybe 10.3 and last year was like 11 point something. So it didn't seem like a big thing, but I actually, I want to actually pull up my play by play and take a look because I have a thing that's like past, like a, a predicted pass percentage baseline based off of uh, score differential time remaining, who has the ball, et cetera, et cetera, um, which I use for like prop stuff to be able to say, okay, this quarterback throws X percent more than average, you know, to control for a game situation. But, um, but I'd be curious to see, and because not every game that is decided by 10 points um, is the same, you know, you could have a team that was up 27. And, and so I'd be curious, I kind of want to see like how, how much that um, changes it. And I guess you could figure out overall um, what each percentage point increase of passing rate is, is, worth towards uh scoring overall i would think yeah right? yeah i think that's one way to look at it. i mean i think the numbers that i didn't calculate but the numbers that that i'd seen here and um also like some like i said some stuff that i discussed with with michael lopez is more looking at um you know w- the win probability over over the course of the game as opposed to the ending score differential so you're right there can be a disconnect there for sure so what about what about home field um, have you guys, I'll ask both of you guys the question, what do you think, do you think home field is the same? Is it lower? Is it more, um, any evidence so far? Or is it just kind of noise? I'll let Rufus answer. <laughs> it's the first one. This I, one. I haven't looked at it. I have no idea. So Jeff, I feel like you probably have a bit, like, do you have any I idea? Don't, I, I don't, I literally... have not looked at it. Um, I would assume Kevin, have you guys looked at it at all? I mean, we looked at him. I think going into the season, most people had this idea that it was going to be heavily discounted, but yet it wasn't reflected in the markets. But then um, I don't think it's, I, I believe from, like I said, I'm not checking it on a, on a, on a week by week basis, but I don't think it's been, um, it's, you know, it, it's been lowered o- over time. So there, there has to be something to it. I think people were overthinking the, the effect 
um, of the crowd noise as opposed to just the the travel effects and everything else that goes into that goes into it. I mean, home home field advantage has been going down over time in all sports, and it's not because the crowd noise has been going down o- over time. It's because teams are probably better at traveling and doing all of that stuff and better officiating. And better officiating, yeah. Yeah, there's, means there's less more analytics and accountability bias. around officiating. Okay, so then I would ask you guys both, uh, and then we can get into the sort of, oh, actually, we should talk about two-point math before we do that. But um, one, uh, if you could blindly bet the overs, unders, the home teams, or the away teams this weekend, which would you choose to bet? I thought you were going to say rest of the season. No, just that question better. I mean, I would, I'd probably bet the unders, I guess. That, that would be my first choice. Now I have to look and see where I have value. So No, no, that's not the point, Rufus. Okay, okay, blind. Blind. I mean, okay, so, so okay, I, I, would, I would agree with the unders. I tend to think that sort of the narrative that over – I think there is this sort of narrative that you can't bet on unders anymore. You can't make the totals high enough. And I think especially as we get into divisional games, I think you'll see um, – I, I think you'll see more unders. Well, I mean, first principle thinking, right, is is that it, historically unders have been better than overs because overs are more public and unders there's more value. So if you couple that with what's happened so far in the season, you would think unders would be valuable. Um, away teams would be an interesting angle also to just blindly bet, but it didn't sound like in our analysis that we felt strongly about um, one way or the other. Uh, Two-point math. Wait, I would have thought it was the other way, just given the fact that people think home field isn't worth as much. Well, okay. I mean, so you would blindly bet the home teams then? Probably, rather than road teams. Although, I I have, like, as I said, I haven't looked at how much the market's implicitly factoring home field. Yeah. So you're you're in – but your intuition is – that the market will process information incorrectly and overreact in, in both of those examples. Yeah, I don't think they're going to, in general, I think the market, the market does over and underreact to things. Generally, it's not large enough so that you can blindly bet one thing and win. But, you know, it's the reason that you have unders covering at 50.7. I don't know what the percentage is, like, historically. It's Got not it. large enough. You know, it's a bias, but it's not large enough to overcome the house edge. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about uh, two-point math. So the new one that's come up recently, obviously, is the one that's in the, the Tennessee game. Um, Bills score to go up by – sorry, not Bills. Uh, the- Wait, Jeff, Jeff, can I interrupt really quickly? I have my answer on the pass play stuff. I have the baseline – has incre- expected baseline increase is literally a qu- 0.25%. <laughs> We should have 0.25% percentage points, a quarter of a percent more passing. So that seems pretty small to me due to the, what we've seen in terms of the score differential in games and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Two-point math. Two-point math. Uh, the new one is, uh, you know, the Texans score to go up by seven. They can either go for a two-point conversion to go up by nine and two scores or just kick it and go up by eight. This math seems relatively straightforward in the world where uh, everyone's talking about analytics this and analytics that. This one seems pretty straightforward, right? This is basically, you've talked about it before, Rufus. It's, it's your chance to convert a two versus their chance to convert a two, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, you have Deshaun Watson. They have Derrick Henry. Um, 
we saw what hey, you know, Ryan Tannehill. Can, they have Ryan, <laughs> Ta- Ryan, Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill too. But overall, if you look at the base rates, I mean, first of all, this was like a game that was like 30 something to 30 something. So, um, but if you look at base rates overall, two point conversions are less than 50%. So I would say overall, it's the wrong move, but in a vacuum, but in a game like this, you know, you might say with your personnel, you'd rather have the matchup of the Houston offense versus the Tennessee defense than Tennessee offense versus Houston defense. I think that's, that was the, I assume that's the assumption that Romeo Cornell or whoever was the decision maker there um, was making. Agree, Kevin? Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's going to be the big thing. I mean, this is, this is one of these circumstances and it's, you know, it's so close that if you're gonna if you're gonna model it on league averages, it's gonna tell you there's a slight advantage to kicking the extra point versus going for two. Um, so, I mean, I think the only thing that the, the, the most interesting thing about this is that people discount generally people discount too much the difference between going from seven points to eight points you know because it's still a still a quote-unquote one score game so i think that's why the reaction that you saw um depending upon i guess who you're following on social media was very positive about this move as if it was the obvious thing to do um i mean i would naturally push back against that that assumption because going from you know people are just are not thinking about how it really changes the game going from seven to eight well, yeah. I, I, think, I think one of the interesting points here, right, is that the analytics in this case would tell you to kick it, right? right. Classic slightly, analytics. Very slightly, to, yeah. But I'm, I know, I'm not, I'm not yeah. but like all of these, right, even that, even the uh, Seattle Seahawks and the, the Vikings one, that was a slight one either way. And I saw that you said, hey, bef- before you had add, ha- actually had run it, you thought the better thing for them to do there would, would have been to kick it. I think that's what you said on Twitter. And I'm not... I'm not criticizing that because again, like this is this whole concept that people are lumping aggressive play into the analytics bucket. Like anytime someone does something anal- aggressive, they say that's what analytics will tell you. But in this specific case where we talk about the Texans and the, and the, um, and the Titans again, that this, this analytics would tell you the opposite. Right. So just, just yeah. Yeah. Thought. I think that's a problem. But again, that, that Vikings call, I believe was also a, um, uh, an eight point thing, right? That people are probably undervaluing the eight points. And, um, I mean, if you want to focus on results, the Seahawks tried to do the two anyway, to move it to a three point lead and they failed uh, on, on the two. Right. So, um, and yeah, but they would have called a better play if they had needed <laughs> right. it. They didn't need well, it. Well, they there. also converted a fourth and 10 and they converted a fourth down near the end zone and all fourth that sort and of eight stuff. Too. And just, yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty insane. So wait, what about, let's go to the Washington giants game. Cause that was, I think that's an interesting one. Ron Rivera decides to go for quote the win, and the announcers are like, "This is the game." Uh, How much time thir- was left? Thirty-eight seconds, I believe. So the it's close to the game, right? It wasn't definitely wasn't the exact game, right? Right. If if you're like a seventeen-point underdog, I see going for you know going for two there maybe, but personally, I disagree, um, and not yeah. because it's too aggressive, but because there's too much time left on the clock and it's going to change the giants incentives. If you, if you, what, what, I mean, what if you, what if you think you have, what if you think you have just the greatest play set up for this, that like you've been saving and you know, it's you, you have like 75% confidence that it works and there's very little time left. I mean, again, like 
people will say analytics and shit, but like that, this analytics is simple, right? Wait, like wait, wait. Assume- if you have that 75% play, you could model this and say, okay, I mean, that That's is- That's what I'm saying. This is yeah. like relatively simple. This is, you're a three point underdog going into the game, which implies a certain, you know, chance of winning or losing in overtime, right? And you add on the fact that like, they're actually going to get the ball with a chance to beat you anyways, right? So, but I guess going for it doesn't, that, that's, that's one of those two that like, this is like the point that you've made, Kevin, that I, that I actually really like. If you go for two and get it, you're creating a much more aggressive opponent with that last 38 sec- seconds. And the chance for you to lose in, in overtime, sorry, in regulation has probably gone up a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, normally the, the tipping point on these things, well, it, number one, it depends on how many timeouts. I'm not sure how many timeouts the, the Giants had there, but um, normally, yeah, normally it's more around like 20 seconds would be like a tipping point here. And that's 39 seconds, especially if you have a timeout is actually a lot of time to get, to get a field goal um, in today's NFL where these kickers can, can, can kick. Yeah. But I so mean, in a, in a tie ball game, you get a kick into the end zone, you, throw an incomplete pass to start well you're you afraid know, of the turnover they do, they do one of those turnover. classic they do yes. one of those classic yeah. drive starter runs and it doesn't work and they you how many times will coaches in that situation just let the clock run out oh no no I'm they know they're gonna go I, to I was saying right. i was saying you go for two you get the two and then the other team has too much time so oh yeah, yeah. No, right but, yeah, but the yeah, whole point yeah, here i'm saying it has to be more like fewer than 20 seconds left so you so so our our math would tell you that you have to think that there is a very very high likelihood that you will get that the two-point conversion for that to be the smart decision or you have to feel like you were at a big disadvantage going into the game period um yeah i mean number one I, i feel like if you think you have a very very high likelihood of getting it i would just assume that you're wrong like uh, why oh, yes. why would any why would any team <laughs> have a 75 percent chance of of scoring no matter what the play is right like then every team would be doing that right then i, I don't I mean, it, well, it no comes only if it's my the special my... play the special play you saved <laughs> the philly philly special you know the philly i mean it, play. It, it goes into like for some reasons i mean whatever i, I have this thing about coaching where i just Okay, so obviously certain coaches are better than other coaches. I'm not saying that's not the case, but like the natural talent that goes into coaching is, in my opinion, um, is much, there's kind of like a lower difference between coaches than there is between players. Like you can't replicate someone's natural physical talent. Whether or not you could steal someone's play is pretty easy, right? Um, between, between coaches. So I feel like there's no reason any coach wouldn't be able to, to figure out a play that would be just as good as yours. And if they could, then that would be reflected in the base rates for how often teams convert and so on and so forth. So there's just no reason to think that you're special in that circumstance or, or, or maybe slightly special, but not anything significant. So, I mean, I'm what special. we need to, I mean, I guess the thing in short, what we're quantifying though is going to be the difference between the probability of a team getting, you know, scoring on a drive with 38 seconds left in a tie game versus if they're down, which right. uh, I'd be actually interested to know if anybody's actually looked into that um, and modeled, I mean, I'm sure people have modeled that explicitly because it's, I mean, it almost seems like, oh, well, this team's going to be acting irrationally conservative when the game's tied, but at the same time, you don't, you know, a turnover, a turnover basically ends the game for you. Right. So what's interesting to me is that Ron Rivera, he, I think he did this successfully a few years ago where he went for two with like eight seconds left at the end of the game and everybody, and I think it worked. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody remembers. 
I'm sure someone will tell me that I was wrong and it was four years ago and there was six seconds. No, I mean, he did some of this kind of stuff in in Carolina. That's, that's where he developed this sort of nickname. But, but then he did it. Maybe I'm completely misremembering, but I, I think he did it again after that one worked later with like 50 seconds or like a minute left. And it's like, no, that like, no, you doofus. That's like not the right move. Yeah. I, I think the important part that people need to understand about the amount of time left equation is that you just create a bigger uh, like a um, uh, a a tougher villain because <laughs> there's right the, the da- there is no downside to a team being right. re- 100% aggressive if they're trailing there whereas there is downside if it's a tie yeah. game which is crazy to think about right because just it just highlights the fact that we know that coaches generally are not coaching optimally which is which makes me sad at the core um, I mean, I you guys want to do a quick trip speaking of coaching NFL? Speaking of coaching optimally, do you think that quarterbacks throw – is there a, is there sort of a a lower – wait, a lower limit for what a, a player's true – a quarterback's true interception rate should be? Essentially, are there quarterbacks that are – like Aaron Rodgers in cases that are being too conservative and they should throw more interceptions in certain circumstances? Yeah, I mean, I think that's – that's probably that's, that's probably the case. Um, I mean, it's difficult to, like you said, to mo- to model something like that. But I think uh, checking who it was, I think it was Peyton Manning had one of the best. I was trying trying to do these curves of win probability and interception rates and things like that. So he was he was one of the best as far as tracking is concerned. I mean, even Tom Brady actually throws through quite a few interceptions when again, he's seen as someone who never throws interceptions, but that's really more of a function of the fact that he's never trailing than the fact that he's not willing to take more risk when he is trailing. Okay. Uh, you guys want to do a quick trip through the, the NFL? Let's do it. Um, we, uh, I, I'll tell you some of the games that we like on Thursday night. We like the giants plus the four and a half. Um, Eagles are a very interesting team. Last very week, injured. their line, I don't know if you saw, Rufus, that line closed at 10. Um, Eagles were a 10-point underdog. Yeah, I, I got 10 and a half. I was able to get You ended up playing the Eagles? I played them at 10 and a half. Jeff, I had was a 6-2 the... and two NFL week. This is, like, know. by far the best NFL I, week. I've, heard, I've heard you talking about it on, on our WhatsApp channel for the last four days, the well, victory lap of the 6-2 and two I for need... someone that's supposed to be a professional better. And supposed to look at large sample sizes, the victory lap that you're doing for six and two. Dude, you can get, insane. I'll tell you, the, like the psychological impacts are real. I was Huge. talking with, you know, with, you know, Preston and he was saying he was, you know, gun shy on something after NFL Sunday. And I was like, man, I was gun shy all Sunday because of how Saturday went and how the NFL season has been so far. So I think it, it's psychologically, like, it feels like now I, I have a little more rope mentally. Uh, Kevin, you have any thoughts on this Giants Eagles game? Eagles obviously have had a bunch of injuries um, in their skill position players. Um, the Giants, do you think they have a above average defense? It's certainly the stats say that the the defense, at least traditional, is is pretty pretty reasonable. And people had thought their offense. Obviously, they lost Barkley, but you know Jones. I think some people thought he would take a step up and like has reasonable weapons. Uh, any thoughts on this game? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just kind of been this is yeah, this is I mean, you mentioned the injury. So that's probably the biggest factor um going against going against the Eagles and no, I I don't think their defense is I mean, not by our by our metrics, their defense is still pretty well below average as far as the Giants are concerned. What would be where they have potential to get better is is offensively. You know, they just haven't 
they just hadn't really scored, been able to get in the end zone and score many, many touchdowns, despite the fact that they've been moving the ball okay. I mean, not great. So there may be some, some upside there. I mean, I guess if you had to lean in one direction, probably the, the Giants sound, sounds reasonable. But I, I don't know how to quantify this many injuries when you have such a cluster like this. Yeah. I mean, I make the number six and a half, and I'm not going near the Philly side with the 10-foot pole. And I also agree that the Giants' defense is bad. They've been playing – if you look at the situations they've been in, they've been playing from, you know, from behind, or they've been facing teams that have big leads. So uh, the yards for play and stuff is going to um, be a little bit different as a result of that. Their baseline is, is going to be lower. How about this Cardinals-Seahawks game? Uh, Seahawks minus three and a half. Arizona was a team, I think, last week that people were getting a little bit down on. But then, obviously, after this hugely public win and thrashing of the Cowboys, um, now they're minus three and a half against Seattle coming off a bye. Rufus, what do you make that line? And, and Kevin, any thoughts on that game? Arizona plus 2.1. I don't have anything on it right now. It's, it's you know, if I'm forced to take a side, I'd take Arizona. Yeah, I mean, my only takeaway from last week that may be in contrast to the the public takeaway was just it was a very low success rate for them offensively and um they had a bunch of a ton of big plays and i think even all all season long the cardinals are beginning a, a ton of value from from kyler murray murray running the ball um often if it's a design run sort of fashion which some of it has been it's, it's fairly stable the scrambles are are not quite as 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 stable so I think that's a, a wild card in it so I, I would assume the Cardinals offense of course I've been saying this for weeks now so maybe maybe, maybe just, I'll just I'll just die on this hill is a little bit overrated and and like I said they've they've been doing so much with Kyler Murray on the ground and then last week they had a couple of bomb plays and other than that it was it was not really that impressive honestly how about um this uh Patriots game Patriots Niners um Patriots obviously put up a stinker last week. That game has been bet down all the way to Patriots minus two. Um, I assume there's no news that I've missed that's that's driving this. Is this just perception driving this down? Or does anyone know if there's some news I'm missing? Is is Bill Belichick not coaching this week because he has COVID or is he coaching by Zoom? Or I don't know. Is, I mean, uh, Jared Stidham back in there this week or something? I mean, Cam did not play particularly well last week. Well, I mean, I took San Francisco at plus three and a half, minus one thirteen, and then plus three, minus one hundred four. So, I'm um, I'm happy with my position there. I think San Francisco has been oversold uh, due to the how I mean, percent well injuries. They have a lot of injuries, of course, on defense, but um, and just how they play. I mean, everyone and their mom was on the on the Niners on Sunday night against the Rams, and yeah. then they had that sort of public beat. I mean, they it wasn't a beat down, I guess, because in the second half they really didn't do very much offensively. Um, but they control that game pretty well from from the jump. Um, I was and, on San Fran too. There, it's yeah, yeah. No, everyone. I think everyone was. I mean, we were on it, and I think I think uh, our bearded friend was on it, and you were on it. I think the jump, that was like a party game. But the, there was also a party game because everyone was on Dallas on on Sun on Monday night, and and that didn't work out particularly well. I didn't end up on Dallas because I never got the plus three, and I wasn't going to play it at plus two. Right, but if you had gone, yeah, plus, if you could have gotten plus three, plus three, you would have taken it for sure. Um, Kevin, any games this week stand out to you as interesting games from a betting perspective? I don't know if you go through the board and look at the board at all. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was looking. You, made, I mean, you mentioned the Patriots. I think some of the 
some, I, mean, I think there's just more questions about that Patriots offense than what we thought going into the season. And we were coming up with back-to-back poor performances. Um, they throttled, I mean, they throttled the, the, you know, the, the Raiders pretty well. And then they, they passed well against the Seahawks. But other than that, the passing game is just totally non-existent. So I think that has something to do with why, why people are, are getting down on them. Um, I don't know if I'd see why the 49ers would be, Obviously, they had a good result last week, but I don't know if that would be filtering through during the week as, as we're going on here. So um, that was one of the more interesting ones I was looking at. Well, Jimmy G now, I mean, I feel like he's going to be a little bit better every week with the high ankle sprain. And you could see him miss some wide open guys last week. Oh, narratives. All right. Any, I mean, any other last game? He's games? a huge, he's a, he's a big upgrade over Beathard, in my opinion, and Mullins. So got it. Yeah. Uh, you want my games? Yes. Okay. I well, I took Jacksonville at ten, nine and a half, and eight um, on Monday. That's down to like seven and a half. Seven and a half. Seven. So I make we that. We like them at seven and a half. Per I make that five and a half. So yeah. I like that. Um, I I think yeah, Herbert is getting a little too much respect. I think. But yeah, that, as Kevin said, rookies rookies are better now than they used to be. So I think I probably am a little bit low on rookies as a result of that rookie quarterbacks. Um, and and the ones you you know you'll never see coming. Um, I like the Saints at minus seven now, and yeah. I, I like the Jets at plus thirteen. Is it still plus thirteen? It is plus thirteen. And plus I have thirteen minus one hundred eight. So everybody getting... telling me I like the Jets. You know, I still have the Jets as the worst team in football. I just don't have them as like. A, you know, a JV college team. All right. Um, Kevin, thanks for joining us. Uh, love to have you on in the off season and we can dive a little bit more into like the nerdy stuff that you work on and, and we can maybe give you a little bit more lead time, but we've been, we've been wanting to have you on for a while. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, and with that, uh, we'll, we'll see you guys all next week. Media coverage, the